All right, welcome. Good morning. Happy Palm Sunday to you. For nine weeks, we have watched this video, but we have not yet talked about any of the complaints that are highlighted in this video. So this morning, it is time to take some sides, okay? I want you guys to just tell me which end or which side of these different things you might fall on. You can play along at home if you're watching online. Let's start with the thermostat, okay? Should the thermostat be set to a temperature that starts with a one or a two? Hold up your fingers, show me ones and some twos. There's a three in the back. I don't, you might need to see a doctor. Something is wrong with you if you think the thermostat should start with a three. Okay, let's talk toilet paper. Oh, yeah. How many of you guys hang it so that the roll feeds from the top? Raise your hand. There you go. And how many of you guys do it wrong? Okay, there we are. Yep, yep. No, I will take sides on that one. I'm not even going to lie. That one bothers the heck out of me. If I come to your house and the roll is feeding under, I'm going to fix it for you just so you know. That's just me. That's just me. Okay. Hey, speaking of taking sides, if you really want to stir up some strife in your marriage, I've got a surefire way to do it. I can tell you how. All you need to do is try to sleep on your partner's side of the bed. That's it. I don't know why this bothers couples so much, but every single couple I know, they have a side of the bed. This is my side. This is your side. And if you try to change it, man, it is a surefire battle. Go lay down on your husband's side of the bed. And what's he going to say when he walks? He's like, what are you doing? That's my side of the bed. Get back on your side, you crazy lady. Okay. Now, of course, these are all minor battles in a marriage. These are little things in legal terms. We could call them reconcilable differences. Like every couple has these little skirmishes, these little things that they disagree on. And in truth, most couples should be able to work through them without too much difficulty. But what happens when the differences in your marriage are much bigger? What happens when the small battles end up becoming an all-out war? How do we know? when a relationship is worth fighting for or when we should pull the plug because it's over. And if you're a Christian, what are the biblical grounds for ending a relationship? And more particularly, what are the scriptural grounds legitimately for ending a marriage? When is it right for a Christian to get a divorce? We're going to answer all of these questions and more this morning in our final uh, message in this Relationship Goal series. And as you can imagine, I'm standing up here with a little bit of trepidation this morning, okay? I feel a little more nervous talking about this subject than I have any other subject throughout this series. Would you stop and think about it? It's kind of crazy because I just spent two weeks talking to you guys about like sex and porn and all that sort of stuff. And you would think that would be what had gotten, you know, what had gotten me nervous. But in truth, this is the one that I've been excited about because I believe it's gonna be so helpful for many of you but it's also one I've been a little bit, little bit nervous over. And the reason I've been a bit nervous is there are probably some of you that are here this morning and you're hoping that in this message, I'm going to give you permission, that you, you've kind of had it, you're done, you're at the end of your rope in your marriage, you've already kind of made some decisions in your mind and you're like, okay, Dan, today I just need you to give me some justification. Just give me some permission, give me the okay, the all clear from God, so I can go ahead and do what I think I need to do. Then there are others, and you're not hoping that I give permission, you're hoping I give you protection, that your spouse is considering divorce, and you guys have had those conversations, and it's not firm yet, but you're hoping the pastor is going to say something that's going to keep your marriage together for a little while. Hey, can I tell you, 
I don't have the authority to give you permission to end your marriage. And I don't have the ability to protect your marriage. If you've spent the last several years like throwing grenades and trying to blow this thing up, there's nothing that I'm going to be able to say in 25 or 35 minutes that's going to hold that thing together. So look, my job this morning is not to give you permission or protection. My job this morning is to offer you some perspective. That's it. My job as a pastor is to point you towards the words of Jesus, the wisdom of scripture, and the works of the Holy Spirit. That's it. Then whatever happens in your marriage or in your relationships, your friendships, whatever it might be, that's ultimately between you and God. That's ultimately an act of obedience in whatever it is that he might be calling you to do. So please don't put too much pressure on me this morning. I can't handle it, all right? So let's look at some of the things that the scripture has to say on this subject. Jesus actually had a really interesting conversation on the subject of divorce and in particular remarriage in Matthew chapter number 19. So we're going to read this passage together, then we'll jump into 1 Corinthians 7 a little bit later. In Matthew chapter number 19, verses 3 through 12, the Bible says, One day some Pharisees came and tried to trap Jesus with this question. Should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for just any reason? Okay, so they start off by asking the question that we're asking, right? What are the legitimate grounds to end a marriage? How do you know when it's over? How do you know when somebody has irrevocably broken the bond, the union, the promises that you've made? They're asking a legitimate question, but their motives are completely wrong. Did you catch what it says here? They ask the question so that they could trap Jesus. Their motive was not care and concern for people who were in difficult relationships. For them, this was like a theological question. This was an interesting and fun kind of debate. They wanted to score some points against Jesus, this rabble-rousing rabbi. And so they're looking at this as a very esoteric kind of doctrinal discussion and debate. It's all up here. But if you pay attention to what Jesus does here and what he does throughout his ministry, for him, this is not about doctrine. This is not about verses and beliefs and theology. I mean, it is, but just as importantly, for Jesus, it's about the people who are involved. For Jesus, it's about the people who are struggling and suffering in difficult relationships. I can prove it to you. There was an episode in John chapter number four. And Jesus meets a woman at a well. They had this really cool conversation. I encourage you to go read it. Super fascinating. But it comes out in the course of this conversation that this woman had been married to five separate men during her lifetime. And she was living with a guy at that moment that she wasn't married to. It's almost like after five attempts, she's like, all right, marriage ain't worth it. You figure she would have gotten that like after attempt number three, but some people it takes five or six tries. I don't know. So this poor woman is there. She's had this long string of broken marriages, uh, difficult relationships. You know, she was certainly not an example that anybody should be following. But if you look at how Jesus responds and reacts to this woman, he doesn't chastise her. He doesn't judge her. He doesn't give her a hard time for the fact that she had had so many broken marriages. Instead, he addresses her as a person. He deals with her and helps her to see that God still loves her, that he has a plan for her. There's another example in John chapter number eight. There's a woman who's caught in the middle of committing adultery, okay? Like she's naked in the bed with this guy. 
And I don't know how the husband discovers what's going on or the wife discovers whatever it is. And so he drags her out in the middle of the street. They bring this poor woman to Jesus and they basically say to Jesus, all right, how should we punish her? And if you, if you read John chapter number eight, what you find out is that Jesus had compassion on her. He didn't condemn her. Now, he also didn't ignore the weight of her sin. He didn't ignore the fact that what she was doing was very wrong. It was damaging. It was sinful. It was harmful and hurtful. And yet, he treated her as a person. So I want you to understand right away here that as we set up this conversation, there are two ways that we can look at it. We can look at this as an intellectual exercise. Like, what does the Bible have to say? What are legitimate grounds for divorce? But I want you to understand as a pastor, I realize and recognize there are so many of you that this is not a doctrinal discussion for you. This is every day. This is your life. This is you wondering if, you know, you've gotten it all wrong and is there any hope and all of those different things. I really want those of you guys that are in a difficult marriage today to recognize that your suffering is not overlooked, that you are not dealing with this all on your own. And God is not like looking down at you going, why can't you guys get this right? You guys suck, man. Just pay attention. Do what I tell you to do and everything's going to be okay. He has compassion for people. Look at what the scripture says. Oh, this is so good. In Psalm 56, 8, this is a wild verse. Like there's a lot that we could say about this. Psalm 56, 8, the, the psalmist writes, God, you see all my sorrows. You have collected all my tears in your bottle you have recorded each one in your book. Now, uh, when, you, when you cry, you know, and a teardrop falls to the ground, it's not like there's a, an invisible angel that swoops under and snatches it up and then it's like in a jar in heaven. This is poetic, okay? It's not meant to be literal, but it is beautiful. And what it tells us is that God genuinely sees our heartache. He sees the hardship that we go through and we're not in it alone. And so no matter what we get into today, no matter where this conversation, the words of Jesus or the words of Paul go, I want those of you who are in difficult relationships to know that you're not going through it alone, that you have a father in heaven who sees your struggles, who is right there in the midst of them with you. In fact, he feels the pain and the heartache that you feel. And so that should give you great comfort, particularly when we read some of the things that Jesus is going to say in a moment, because Jesus tends to be really, really blunt on the subject of marriage, divorce, and remarriage. So let's look at what Christ says. These dudes show up and they're like, hey, Jesus, can the guy divorce his wife for any reason? No lie. I haven't told you guys this. There was a rule that the rabbis had invented based on some Old Testament uh, verses that said a man could divorce his wife if she burned the food. Some of y'all would have been divorced a long time ago. But anyway, like, that's why I don't cook. Anyway, it's true though. So like in their culture, it was like, listen, any reason, you might as well just call this thing off, okay? But Jesus has a different approach. Haven't you read the scriptures, Jesus replied. They record that from the beginning, so this is gonna be a callback to Genesis 1 and 2, same passage we've basically been talking about every single week for the last two months. They record that from the beginning, God made them male and female. And Jesus said, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Since they are no longer two, but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. So he's just quoting some Old Testament verses there. So then the Pharisees, the religious leaders who were asking this question in order to trap him, 
They ask, then why did Moses say that in the law that a man could give his wife a written notice of divorce and send her away? So if it was God's plan for people to stay married and not get divorced, then why did God allow Moses to give people rules for when and how to divorce one another? Jesus replied, Moses permitted divorce only as a concession to your hard hearts, but it was not what God had originally intended. So in these verses, Jesus actually highlights the foundational reason that marriages end. He really, he, he states very plainly what causes a marriage to break down and ultimately lead to a divorce. And the truth is, it has nothing to do with infidelity, money problems, poor communication, lack of sex. Those are all very important, but they're symptoms. It's not the real problem. It's not the real issue. According to Jesus, the thing that will ultimately lead your marriage to ruin, the thing that you've got to guard against, the thing that will end in divorce for you is hardness of heart. He says, it wasn't that way. God allowed divorce because your hearts were hard towards one another. So we're going to circle back to this idea of having hardness of heart. We're going to come back to it at the end of the message, but I want to kind of tease it for you a little bit because this is actually really great news. You're like, what? How is that great news? How is it great news that my husband and I have a hard heart towards each other? Because we have a God who specializes in changing hearts. We have a God who promises that when your heart is hard towards one another or towards him, there is hope. See, if you just married a bad guy and he cheated on you, then there's nothing you can do about that. There is no hope. If you married somebody and she's just a bad chick, you chose the wrong one, then what what option do you have besides divorce? But if there is something going on inside of us that God can transform, then there is hope for absolutely any marriage, not just that a marriage could survive, but there is hope in Jesus that any marriage, including your crazy, messed up, dirty, weird one, can thrive, okay? That's the promise that we're going to see. So Jesus, they come to him and they say, can we divorce for any reason? And he says, well, no, that's not God's plan. God's plan is for you to get married and stay married for life. He goes on to say, and this is where it gets real hard. He says, I tell you this, whoever divorces his wife and marries someone else commits adultery unless his wife has been unfaithful. So in verse nine, Jesus gives the only grounds he ever offers for a biblical divorce. This is the only thing that Jesus ever says that a Christian should legitimately pursue a divorce over. Really? Like the only thing? Yeah, it's the only thing he says. Now, in a moment, we're going to find out that this is not the only thing the New Testament says. But when Jesus talks on the subject, what are the legitimate reasons to end a Christian marriage? The only out, the only exception that he offered to us was when our partner commits adultery. So there we've got it on the screen, adultery. I I think as the church, this makes us very uncomfortable. Does it make you uncomfortable? Kind of makes me uncomfortable. I'm not going to lie. Okay. I'm a little bit more like the Pharisees. I'm like, there got to be a lot of reasons, Jesus, that we could divorce. I mean, there's a lot of stuff. Now, granted, I'm not going to divorce her if she burns the chicken. That seems a little crazy, but there are probably a lot of reasons, good, legitimate, God-blessed reasons to end a marriage, right? Not according to Christ. Jesus says God's goal, his plan for you, just like, listen, it's not like God is some jerk in heaven. Like you stood at an altar and you made promises to one another and you said, till death do us part, for better or for worse, in sickness and in health. Was that just nice words or were they promises? 
So Jesus says, listen, you guys made some promises. Those promises were in line with God's intention from the very beginning. So unless your partner commits adultery, then you need to keep working at your marriage. That's what he says. So Jesus here, he raises the bar so high that not only am I uncomfortable and not only are all of you uncomfortable, his disciples got real uncomfortable in the moment. If you look at the next verse, the Bible says, Jesus' disciples then interrupted and they said, if this is the case, then it's better not to marry at all. Like Jesus, if you're telling me that the only reason that I could get out of my marriage is if my partner cheated on me or they die, then maybe I should just stay unmarried. And Jesus is like, mm-hmm, that ain't, that ain't no lie. In fact, he says, not everyone can accept this statement. Not everyone can handle what Jesus is saying here. In fact, his disciples, the ones who were closest to him, actually seemed to struggle the most with it. They're like, wait, Jesus, I thought you were like running around, loving people, forgiving them, blessing them, saying it's okay, God forgives you, it's all about grace, and yet here, you're holding a strong line. This makes us uncomfortable. Jesus goes on to say, the only people that can accept this are the ones whom God helps. Let anyone accept this who can. I'm with the disciples, you guys. I'm not even gonna lie. If I can just be honest with you, uh, when we have marriage counseling sessions, there are a lot of times where I'm like, oh, this marriage is a disaster. And honestly, you guys should just end this thing. But when I look at the words of Christ, I'm like, uh-oh. I don't know if I can tell you guys to do that, at least not as your pastor, okay? If what Jesus is saying here is true, then the disciples are on to something. There are a whole lot of people that should just stay single. That if this is as significant as Jesus says it is. All of you that are single right now and you're just dying to get married, you don't know how good you have it, frankly. Not because marriage is awful, it's not. You know it's not awful, but it can get awful. And when it does, we live in a culture that's like, well, it's just not filling my needs, not making me happy anymore, so I guess it's time for me to move on to something else. And the Bible says if you're a Christian then you don't get that luxury. That there is a standard that God calls us to. And as difficult and like high as that bar is, my job is to give you perspective on what Jesus said. He said, the only legitimate reason to end your marriage is if your partner commits adultery. Anybody see now why I was a little nervous to get up and talk to you guys about this this morning? It's not an easy thing. All right. So in Matthew 19 here, we get the first biblical justification for ending a marriage, adultery. It's the only one that Jesus gave. Now, there are others in the New Testament. So it's not like, because you might be thinking, well, what about this? And what about this? And what about this? And what about this? Like the Bible addresses most of those things, many of them anyway. And so we're going to talk about them. But hey, look, the fact that Jesus was so like serious, like he set the bar so high, he didn't leave a lot of wiggle room, that tells us something about the way that God views marriage. He views it as much weightier than we do. God, he's pro-marriage in a way that many of us just can't even fathom. God is fighting for your marriage harder than many of you are fighting for your marriage. He really and genuinely wants to see you to stay united, to thrive, and to finish life loving one another. 
Now, we find the second justification, scripturally speaking, for ending a marriage in 1 Corinthians 7. This is a passage we've been reading for the last several weeks, 1 Corinthians 6 and 7. They deal with like marriage and sex and all of these different things. And so in 1 Corinthians 7, verses 10 and 11, the apostle Paul, who was like a church planter and a pastor, kind of like I am, but you know, much better. And so um, he was writing a letter to a church he started in the ancient city of Corinth, and he's giving them instructions on like how to live and have happy marriages and all of those different things. And so we read here in verse number 10 that he says, for those of you in the church who are married, I have a command that comes not from me, but from the Lord. And so when he says this, what he's telling you is, I'm about to remind you of something that Jesus said. This is not my command. This is something that the Lord himself told us. And so he reminds them, a wife must not leave her faithful husband. And if she does leave him, let her remain single or else be reconciled to him. And the husband must not leave his wife. So you see, he's reiterating Jesus' teaching. He's basically quoting Jesus from Matthew 19, just reminding them, hey, unless there's adultery, the only, uh, the, the only out that Jesus ever gave for a marriage, a Christian marriage, is adultery. But then he goes on to address a situation that Jesus never talked about. So now he's going he's gonna to frame this a little bit differently. And we read in verse number 12, he says, I'll speak to the rest of you, though I do not have a direct command from the Lord. So now he's saying, all right, I just quoted Jesus to you. Jesus didn't say what I'm about to say. However, he's going to explain later in this passage that what he is about to say is in line with the teachings of Jesus. So he's going to take the principles that Christ gave and he's going to apply them to a different situation. So he says, I don't have a direct command from the Lord, but if a fellow believer has a wife who is not a believer and she is willing to continue living with him, he must not leave her. And if a believing woman has a husband who is not a believer and he's willing to continue living with her, she must not leave him. But he says, if the husband or wife insists on leaving, then let them go. In such cases, the believing husband or wife is no longer bound to the other, for God has called you to live in peace. So Paul gives us here this second biblical justification for ending a marriage. If your spouse walks away, if they abandon the marriage, then you as a Christian are not bound to the terms of the marriage. They're the ones who broke the promise. And the reason that this is in line with what Jesus said is that basically in an, in an adulterous situation, your partner has already broken the marriage covenant, right? They've destroyed that one flesh union because they've sexually gone out and been with somebody else outside of your relationship. Same thing here. We see somebody who is walking away from this one flesh union that they promised to be a, a to be committed and faithful to forever. And so Paul says, listen, if your spouse walks away from your marriage, you can't make them stay in a marriage they don't want to be in. Uh, there was a time in history in which we required people to do this, and it did not go well, okay? And so Paul says, listen, if they abandon the marriage then you are no longer bound by the marriage. You're free to pursue a divorce and then to um, even uh, to remarry in this situation. This is like God's mercy on display. You know what I mean? So like we read Jesus and he sets the bar so high and it's like, oh man, like, you know, oh, that's, woo, right? Makes me sweat a little bit, okay? But here, if your spouse abandons you, it's not like God is like, hey, you made a promise, 
So you better stay unmarried and hope that they come back and y'all can reconcile someday. No, like God in his mercy and his graciousness, he says, listen, if they walk away, you can't do anything about that. And so at that point, you are free and you're no longer bound by the marriage. Now, I wanna remind you guys that what Paul says here is that this second one, this idea of abandonment is not a direct command from Jesus. Instead, he's using the principles of Jesus in order to address a situation that Jesus never spoke specifically about. The final two biblical grounds for divorce that I'm going to offer to you this morning are in the same, in the same vein, in this same way. So there's nowhere else in the Bible where the scripture says, and the third legitimate reason for a divorce is, and then the fourth is, it doesn't say that. However, reading what we read about Jesus and his teachings on marriage, knowing what we know about God and his father's heart for his children, and then uh, taking into account the totality of the scripture, I think that we can kind of do what Paul did. We can take the principles in the Bible and we can apply them to two more situations. So the first one in which I believe, and I'm going to be like Paul here, and I'm going to say, I do not have a direct command from the Lord. Instead, this is my best wisdom based on what I see from the scripture is in situations of abuse. So we've got adultery, abandonment, and now abuse. In a situation, let me just, I'll back up and I'll say this. Um, If you are in an abusive situation right now, the best thing that you can do is to separate. You may have heard some pastors or well-meaning Christians in the past, and they've said, no, unless there's adultery or abandonment, you got to stay there. No, not if you're getting hurt, okay? If you are in, in danger, if your children are in danger, then like, don't wait, get some help. Contact me or Amber or other people in the church, your family. You are surrounded by people who can help you to get free, to get safe. And then we can start to address any of these things. But God's primary concern in this situation is your immediate safety. I believe that with every fiber in my being. That's my concern as well. So if you find yourself in an abusive situation, you're genuinely fearful and you're in danger, then you need to get out, get separated, get some distance, get some safety for you and your family. Now, the Bible never says abuse is a legitimate grounds for divorce. It doesn't say it. I really wish it did. It doesn't make me super happy that the Bible doesn't say this because it seems very obvious to me. It seems like... If you're in an abusive situation, that is also a breaking of the one union flesh contract or covenant that you made with your partner. Um, And so, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm stepping out a little bit here, but look, if we read scripture, we find all over the place that God detests violence. In, in Colossians chapter number three, verse 19, he calls us to be gentle with one another, to treat one another with love and compassion and respect. And so if we find ourselves, if you find yourself in an abusive relationship and your partner refuses to get help, if it's a part of a pattern that has continued for quite a while now and it's not getting any better, then I just believe knowing what I know about the heart of our father, that you are released in that situation, you are free to move on and to pursue a healthy relationship in Jesus. The fourth one, similarly, the Bible never says this, 
and there might be a little less scriptural uh, support for it, but I'm going to go ahead and put it out there anyway, is biblical grounds for divorce in a Christian marriage, are in, uh, uh, they occur in instances of severe addiction. Severe addiction, okay? Um, so if we read in 1 Timothy chapter number 5, verse 18, the Bible says that if somebody doesn't provide for their own family, they're worse than an unbeliever. Like, it is a horrible, terrible thing in God's sight to basically uh, ignore or abandon your responsibilities towards your family. This is like a big deal to God. And unfortunately, we live in a world in which there are so many things for us to get addicted to, whether it's drugs and alcohol, whether it's pornography, whether it's daily fantasy, sports and gambling, I don't even know. It's just like, there's a lot. And I don't think that just because your partner has an addiction, then you should just, you know, cut ties and walk away. But what ends up happening is that addiction is a slope and eventually we get to the point where addicts are, are doing things that compromise the safety of their family, the safety of their family's finances, all of those different things. And so I think this is another one of those situations, using the principles that we find in Scripture, in which um, I think it, it, it offers a legitimate grounds to consider pursuing a divorce. So, four things. Like, that's it. Four things. Best case scenario Four things in Scripture, four reasons that God would say, yep, if you feel like the timing is right, you're free. File some papers and walk away. And look, if I'm really honest with you, like these aren't even as clear as they might seem, okay? Does an emotional affair constitute adultery according to Matthew 19? Maybe in some cases, maybe in some cases not. I'm not sure. Uh, Is verbal abuse Does that rise to the level? Maybe in some cases, some cases not. I don't know. I'm not here, again, I'm not here to give you permission. You understand that? It's not my job. That's not what I'm after. What I want you to understand, though, is that God has set some bounds. And if your marriage or your partner has stepped outside of those bounds, then you're not stuck with no recourse. God does give you some options here. But it's important to recognize that in none of these scenarios, does the Bible command or require divorce? You realize that, right? It's like if your partner cheats on you and and you believe that you can forgive them or you want to forgive them and move past it, then I think that's an even better option. God bless you. Yes, let's try to do that. I think that would be God's ultimate goal. But if they've stepped out of line in one of these four areas and you, you just can't, you can't go any further with it, then these are the scenarios and situations in which I believe God gives you the, the permission to end it. Can I tell you what this makes me realize? There is a big difference between a difficult or disappointing marriage and a destructive one. If I'm just real, most of the conversations that I have as a pastor, most of the counseling that I do with couples They're dealing with difficult marriages, and difficult marriages are not something to make light of or overlook. They're dealing with disappointment. My spouse wasn't who I thought they were. It wasn't the fairy tale that I thought it was going to be on our wedding day. And, And listen, God sees your difficulty. He sees your disappointment. He sees the struggle that you're going through every single day. But there's a difference between having a disappointing marriage and a destructive one. What God gives us in the New Testament is a way out of destructive marriages. Not destructive in the sense that it's like, oh man, it's, you know, it's like, it's destructive. No, like 
truly ones that break this one union contract covenant flesh agreement, yes, God gives us a way out of those. But more importantly, what God offers to us is a way through disappointing marriages. He offers us a way to get past disappointing relationships, a way in which we don't have to simply cut ties and walk away and think that that's our only option. There is always hope when Jesus is in your life. So what I want to do with the remainder of our time here is I want to, call, I want to kind of follow the Apostle Paul's example. And um, in, in 1 Corinthians 7, what he does is he just starts addressing all of these different groups of people, you know? He's like, so to the singles, I say this. To the engaged people, I say this. To the married people, I say this. And I want to do a little bit of that, okay? So I want to kind of hit most of the scenarios and situations that you might find yourself in. And I hope that this gives you a great deal of encouragement, hope, and maybe even a little wisdom for moving forward regardless of your situation. To the singles that are in the room, either you've never been married or you were married, but you're single again. How do you know if it's time to end a dating relationship that you find yourself in? Well, I think the first thing you should ask is whether or not this particular relationship is truly helpful to you. Is it helpful. If we go all the way back to the book of Genesis, we see that God creates Eve as Adam's helper. Help meet is what the scripture says. That word literally means equal partner. It means corresponding in kind. And Adam was Eve's helpmate as well. It goes both ways here, okay? And so the question then becomes, is the person that I'm in a relationship with, are they actually helping me or are they harming me? Are they hurting me? Now, I don't mean, are they helping your (laughs) self-esteem? I don't mean, are they helping you pay bills? I mean, are they helping you to become the person that God created you to be? Are they moving you towards Jesus or further away? Are they helping you to develop in God's calling and his dreams for your life? Or are they dragging you to the side and off the path that he wants you on? The first thing you should do is ask, is this person really helpful or are they hindering me? And if you aren't sure, then ask your friends and family. (laughs) They'll tell you, and you got to let them be honest. You know what I'm saying? You have to let them be honest. Like one of the most helpful things you could do is go to somebody that you know and love, that knows you in your relationship, and say, is this a person that you could see me being married to for life? Mama will tell you. Are you with me? She's not going to pull any punch. She's like, please, I've been waiting for you to ask me this. Yes, he's wonderful. You guys are going to be amazing together. Or, girl, no, don't do it. I'm begging you, whatever it takes, okay? So ask people that you know and trust because it's very, very hard to see your own blind spots, to know where you need to address and make some changes and stuff. So one of the best things you can do is to ask people that you know and love for help and for wisdom. And then I'll remind you of something we talked about several weeks ago when we were addressing singles in the Relationship Goal series, and that is you never, ever, ever want to make decisions about your future partner based on their promises or their potential. You remember this? You never want to choose somebody based on their promises or their potential. Instead, you as a wise person are going to make decisions based on their preparation and their patterns. That's what you're looking at. Have they had a pattern of handling business or have they had a pattern of repossessions and mom bailouts? You know what I'm saying? 
Have they, had, have they been making preparations to be a godly wife or a godly man? Have they been demonstrating a pattern of somebody that I want to throw my lot in and walk alongside of forever? Yeah, but they have so much potential. Listen, everybody's got potential, but not everybody is the right person for you to marry. So I would just challenge you, remember, don't make any decisions based on their potential or their promises. You're going to make decisions based on their preparation and their pattern. Then I'll say this, and we'll move on. When you're in the dating season, be quick to end it and slow to cement it. <laughs> quick to end it and slow to cement it. When you break off a, a relationship, it is never easy, you guys. It's never easy. But the longer a relationship goes on, the harder it is for it to end the deeper the connections end up getting, the more intermingled your life is. And if you know deep down inside, I, unless there are massive changes, I don't think that we're going to end up married at some point. If you know that that's the truth today, go ahead and make a decision today. Go ahead, be quick to end it and then slow to cement it. Don't get married to somebody you barely know. Don't jump in too quickly. There are a lot of married people that are like, whew, I wish I would have waited just a little bit longer so I would have better understood what I'm getting into, all right? Take your time. I tell couples all the time, listen, have a really long dating season, a very short engagement, and then a real long marriage. That's the goal, okay? So quick to end it, slow to cement it. Don't be hasty to get into a relationship. Now, to those of you guys that are in the room this morning and you are divorced, I want to speak specifically to those of you guys that were divorced and kind of reading what we've read in the scriptures and knowing what you might know about the Bible. You were divorced under biblical circumstance. So I want to talk to those of you guys that you had legitimate grounds for your marriage ending, okay? I want to acknowledge that no matter the circumstances, like even if it was biblical, you can imagine that adultery or abandonment or abuse or addiction is a real hard road to walk. And so just because you had a biblical justification for ending your marriage doesn't mean that you haven't walked through one of life's greatest difficulties. And I want to acknowledge that although you may have had this justification, it's probably been hard. You've had to make a lot of choices and decisions that most people are never going to be able to understand. Remember, God understands. He sees what you've gone through. He sees the motives. He understands why you've done the things that you've done. God really does see it. I want you to feel the Father's love for you, and I want you to hear the confirmation from the Scripture that what you did, if it were according to the, the, the writings here and the teachings of Jesus, that it's okay. You may feel guilt and like, oh, did I do the right thing? And what does God think now? Listen, if, if you have followed the teachings of Jesus then you're okay. God loves you. He blesses you. He's with you. And I'll also just tell you, you are not a second-class Christian because you're on your second marriage, okay? Sometimes we can treat divorced people that way, but man, there are so many, and they're divorced through no fault of their own. It, it wasn't their reasoning. It wasn't their fault. It wasn't their problem. And so if that's you, I want you to know that, that God loves you. Connect Church loves you as well. Let me speak to those of you who are divorced and kind of looking back now, you're like, well, all right, maybe I didn't have the most biblical reasons for getting divorced. Um, <clears throat> what I want to remind you of is that we process an unbiblical divorce or a sinful divorce the way that we deal with any single sin, 
right? No sin is worse than another, so we deal with them all the same way. We confess our sin and we receive God's forgiveness for it. First John chapter number uh, one, verse nine says, if we confess our sins to God, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wrongdoing. Actually, the Bible does say there's one unforgivable sin. You know that, right? But it ain't divorce. It's something else altogether. So if you find yourself and you're looking back and you're like, oh man, I, I, I probably, I didn't end that thing the way that I should have or the way that Jesus might have intended me to. All we do at this point is we acknowledge what happened and we ask God for forgiveness for it. That's all we can do. Now, I'll say, if you and your ex both remain unmarried, like you guys got divorced however long ago, and both of you have not moved on to a different marriage, then I believe God's goal for you too is still reconciliation and restoration. I believe that's his ultimate aim. He would love to see you two fall back in love to restore what was lost, what the enemy took away from you, and have this beautiful picture of reunion and reconciliation in Jesus. I believe it's possible. It's abs- I know couples that got divorced. They were separated for 10 doggone years. Neither one of them got remarried, but they did some deep soul work, some personal counseling and growth, and then what do you know? Those jokers got married to one another again. It's incredible. And they're loving their marriage more than they ever did before. So if, you, if you've experienced a divorce and you and your partner still remain unmarried, I believe that's God's ultimate dream. It's not gonna be the reality for everybody. I, I totally get that. But the potential is still there. And I believe it's what God might desire. Now, if you or your spouse has already gotten remarried to somebody else, then the options for reconciliation are basically gone at this point. So instead, we're not going to pursue reconciliation and restoration. We're going to pursue restoration and restitution. Restoration and restitution. So what we're going to do, uh, no, I'm sorry, repentance and, re- and restitution. Repentance and restitution. So what we're going to do here is we're going to acknowledge the fact that we did wrong. That if we're followers of Jesus, we broke his clear commands. We, we might have made some, some selfish decisions rather than some selfless decisions. We chose to do some things that hurt our family, that broke apart this marriage. And so we acknowledge that. We repent of it. And then to the best of our ability, we try to make restitution. Listen, you and your partner may never get together. Your ex, you may never have a great relationship. But in Jesus, I believe you owe it to them to confess your wrongs in that relationship and then to do whatever you can to make them right, to the best of your ability. So that might mean making a phone call. It might mean writing a letter, and you may never get a response, but oh well. It means that if you owe some child support, Jack, you better start paying it. If you're gonna speak about your ex, then speak well of your ex. You see what I mean? Like if the, sorry, not you, Jack. Um, (laughs) I forgot, there's a guy named Jack in the service. The point here, the point here, the point here is, that like, hey, if, 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 if the, what's done is done. We can't do anything about that, but we can trust in God's grace and his mercy. And we can try to restore the relationship in a way that honors Jesus. I believe that's what God has called us towards, okay? Now, um, there's one quick question that often comes up in this situation. It's like, okay, so Dan, I see now, or I understand, I've always known that uh, my, my marriage didn't end biblically. Now I'm remarried so what does this mean for my current marriage? Like, is it 
do, do we need, are we supposed to get a divorce now? Um, can God bless a marriage that was started in sin? Um, and, and there's a lot that we can say on it. I think we, although the Bible never addresses this, there's actually a really interesting parallel in 1 Corinthians 7. We kind of read it a moment ago in which the apostle Paul says, hey, look, for a couple that is like, if there's a believer that's married to an unbeliever, right? And remember in other places, he said, that's a sinful relationship that Christians should not marry unbelievers. So if this is like a hard line and like, if your marriage was started in sin that it can't be valid in God's eyes, then he would have said to the Corinthians, hey, if you're a believer and you find yourself married to an unbeliever, then y'all need a divorce because this thing ain't no good. But he doesn't do that. Instead, he says, no, I want you to continue to treat this marriage as if it were valid because you made a commitment and you never know what can happen. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 7, he says, listen, husband, believing husband, how do you know that God won't use your loving testimony in her life to bring her to salvation? Loving wife, how do you know that, that God won't use your, your spirit of Christ-likeness in this marriage to draw your husband into repentance? We have those stories in the room this morning. And so the point here is that God can take our messes and turn them into miracles. And so look, you know, God is opposed to divorce. He doesn't want you to go divorce your spouse, even if your divorce, your, your marriage didn't start off on the right foot. Instead, submit it to Christ now and do your very best. Okay, last thing. Man, I've gone long today. Okay, here we go. So those of you guys that are married and you're contemplating divorce, you're struggling, you're wondering, is it the right time or not? First thing you should do is determine whether either partner has transgressed those four situations that we talked about. Has there been adultery? Has there been abandonment? Has there been abuse? Is there addiction? And if so, then prayerfully ask God how you should proceed. I don't know what you should do but the Holy Spirit does, and he'll give you wisdom. If your spouse hasn't crossed one of those boundaries, then I want you to consider what Jesus said earlier in Matthew 19. The root problem isn't his temper. It's not her spending problems. It's not our parenting disagreements. The root problem that, that leads to divorce and marriages is hardness of heart. It is, it is just eventually over time, we give up trying to even care or love about this person. And so um, what we want to do then is we want to start to obey the words of, of Ephesians chapter number four, verse 32, which says, be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. What God wants you to do is he wants you to start to love them again. When, when I go through, like when we have marriage counseling and stuff like that, um, couples will come in. I'm like, hey, what are your problems? What's going on? What's leading to this conflict? And it's like, oh, it's money or it's sex or it's kids or it's work or whatever. And it's like, okay, let's start to address those. It's like, no, it's too late. It's too late. It's, no, we're way past that. Yeah, you are. Because actually we don't need to address those things. We need to address the heart. We need to remind you guys that it's possible to fall in love again. If you say, I can't fall in love with them, well, then you are at the point of no return. But in Jesus, you can receive a new heart. God promises in the book of Ezekiel that he'll take away our stony heart, the hard heart, and he'll give us one that's soft and tender, one that's loving, both towards him and towards our spouse as well. That's gotta be your goal. If you, you can address all the other problems in your marriage, but if you don't address the hard-heartedness, if you don't start to develop tenderness and love and care for one another, then you're never going to find your breakthrough. Hey, let me remind you one last thing. We have set up a counseling fund here at Connect Church. We talked about this in our Crazy Faith series last year, and I want to remind you that it's there and it's available. We have a few thousand dollars that are set aside specifically for couples in our church, not for like your sister who lives in Manitoba or anything, but we have those for you to help pay for counseling. 
Because I don't want you to wait until it's too late and then come to my office and expect me and Amber to say something that's going to say it's not going to happen. So get some help now. We'll even pay for you to get the help that you need, okay? That's how much we care about your marriage. But most importantly, that's how much God cares about your marriage. That's what he wants to see. He wants to see you thrive. He's given you some clear guidelines, some boundaries. And unless and until those boundaries have been passed, then I'm just going to challenge you as lovingly as I can in faith to fight for your marriage, to re-engage, to love, and to keep going. If eventually your partner gives up and walks away, there's nothing you can do. But as a believer in Jesus, you're going to keep believing the best. You're going to keep hoping that in Jesus, anything can be renewed and restored.